I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. Run hip hop and animals on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. I'm direct to the fifth element. I highlight the fifth element hip hop. Say the line, Charlie. Say the line, Charlie. Say the line, Charlie. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You might got more cash than me, but you ain't got the skills to eat a nigga's ass like me. Charlie's getting that engraved on his tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how he chooses to live his life. It's all about the money. It's about how many asses you can eat. Gotta stack those numbers up. Stack them up. Just get some doctor's appointments ready to go. Like get a standing appointment once a week and say, look, this is what I've picked up this week. Penicillin, antibiotics, whatever you got. Because I can't stop. I've made this commitment, and I must continue on. Hi, Ben. How's your week, Ben? And how many answers have you eaten? (laughs) (laughs) Zero this week. Um, (laughs) This week? (laughs) How many answers have you eaten this week? So let's get into the album. So Young Thug Uh, dropped Business is Business, and I am... Great album cover. Great album cover. I immersed myself in this album because I was looking for something interesting to analyze. And, you know, there's 2% of the lyrics on this album are about snitching. So I just simply said, he 2%'s about Gunner. And I got dragged because apparently he recorded this before he went to prison. Um, someone actually tweeted out, oh my God, it sounds like Young Thug is recording on a phone. Like, yes, that's. I think that's a pretty common thing, the jail the jail call on an album. It's, it's very common. But anyway... I didn't, I didn't mind the album, to be 100% honest. It gets a bit dreary towards the end. But I tell you what, Cars Bring Me Out with Future, that is a bop bop, like a proper fucking bop, bro. With the racks, with uh, 21 Savage, Tra- Travis Scott, Yak Gotti, that's incredible. Abracadabra's incredible. Uh, Money on the Dress is great. Gucci Grocery Bag. Like, these are just throwaways. I understand that. This is not punk. This is not... Beautiful Thugger Girls, this is far more aligned with maybe So Much Fun or Barter Six or something like that, you know, maybe not Barter Six, that was a more conceptual album, but look, I enjoyed it, I really did, uh, I don't know what people are expecting, um, it's Young Thug, man, you don't know what to expect, and he comes through as pretty rapping on this, like some, a lot of rapping, like I think it was 69% rap, 70, uh, 31% singing, not a lot of vocal tone switches, not a lot of flow switches. Uh, it's just not super common. It's a little bit out of there for Young Doug, especially recently, especially with, with Punk. He sung a lot on that album. So, look, I like it. Do I like it as much as Gunner's album last week? Probably more. I'm definitely going to go back to this album more. You can just feel that like hit-making ability within Young Thug where even when he's doing something that's not at his peak or not artistically challenging or not pushing things forward which he does pretty much with every album he still creates freaking jams so yeah shout out young thug i I thought it was a really solid album uh let's just scroll down here big freeja drops central city oh 
bounce. Fucking bounce Bible right here. I've been waiting for this album because they've been dropping a lot of heat lately. A lot of heat. And I don't know if you listen to my pod, uh, playlist or... But I'm always putting Big Freeja right at the fucking top, bro. I'm putting it right at the top. And this whole album is just a, it's just full of bops. It's full of bangers. It's full of just slaps. It's just a great freaking project. And it's high energy, the whole project. I don't know how long it is. I checked out, but... It is high energy, the entire project. It's 47 minutes. Perfect. Perfect for cardio. Perfect for the gym. This is a perfect album, man. Big Freeja, shout out. Um, I should really go to the graphic. I don't know what I'm doing on my, my playlist. That's really silly. That's not going to get us anywhere. Um, what else did I listen to this week? There was quite a few albums that dropped. I just didn't get into. Hus Kingpin. Hus Kingpin dropped a project. Uh, I think it came out midweek. It's good. It's really good because... Firstly, it opens up with a paid in full instrumental and I'm listening to it and I'm just like, bro, production back then was just so iconic. Like it, it's not going to ever be topped. And from there, he just is skating over the top of some iconic samples and instrumentals. And, you know, he's with Smooth and they just keep in time lyrically. You know, I don't think this is Hus Kingpin's most lyrically conceptual album. I don't think it's, you know, pushing himself... I don't think he's pushed himself lyrically for a couple of projects now, but that's okay. He's just found his own. He's in his lane right now, and I'm totally comfortable with it. Every every project he drops at the moment, I'm enjoying. So shout that out. Koi Ray dropped Koi. Now, this is very interesting, this album, because I think... I thought her last album, and I talked about it on the... Po- I think it was her last album. Um, I said that it was just a major label album. It just sounds to me like they've just said, hey, let's, this is what major label albums do. We want you to get on this playlist, this playlist, this playlist, all these different things, just a mosaic of popular sounds right now. Coil Ray just tore all that up, do it in the garbage bin and said, I'm just going to do what the fuck I want, which is just straight up bops. I'm going to just bop the fuck out of this album. And holy shit, man, the instrumentals here, you have to be at a level of fame to be able to clear some of these samples. I understand that. But when you get there, you can't fuck it up. And, you know, when you're rapping over iconic instrumentals, this is a Daft Punk sample here. There's some really iconic beats in here. You can't fuck it up. Hear that H? Say? Did you hear that H? The H. I'm missing the reference there. He did a a shiny, didn't he? Oh, yes. Well, I struck that from my memory. That's why I missed the reference. (laughs) I'd forgotten that that had existed, and now you've just ruined my entire day. You're welcome. You have to remember that. But look, man, you can't you can't fuck it up. You can't you can't do an H. You can't pull an H. You have to pull a koi and bro or this a Jack Harlow. There you go. That's it. Yeah, no. <laughs> or logic. <laughs> I mean logic did a cover, but it was it was it was it was low tier. But yeah, man, I, I recommend this. If you wanna have some fun, if you wanna enjoy yourself, just put this freaking album on. Uh Key Glock dropped the uh Glaucoma two deluxe. This is actually I think this was a great addition. You know, all of these songs slap. These beats sound so big on a good system. It sounds incredible. Um, yeah, shout out uh, Key Glock. And non-hip-hop, I listened to the Sigur Rose album. I saw Sigur Rose last year. Uh, three hours they played for, and it felt like 10 minutes. It was the most entrancing, ethereal thing I've ever seen in person. And this album is it's interesting there's a lot of silent stretches a lot of because you know with cigarettes they they build they're kind of like explosions in the sky i put them together they build you know they build to a crescendo 
And then they somehow, especially Cigarettes, push that crescendo even higher than you thought. That's the, always been the trick I've felt with Cigarettes. It's like, you you know that they're building to something. They get there. You're like, holy shit, this is epic. And then Yonsei just starts like, like super high, just like belting out this falsetto. And you're like, oh shit, they took it to another level. With this album, instead of like using the instruments to build that crescendo, they use silence. So you get the first two minutes of a song where it creeps up slowly in volume. And that actually really annoys me. I did not enjoy that part of it at all. It's amazing when we get to the points where there is actually music that you can hear. But to get to that point, you're just sitting through a lot of silence. It's like, what are we doing here? This is really not... And maybe it's a pushback against modern, the way modern people consume music, where we just have to have things immediately. I've listened to this album five or six times through, and... I am struggling to continue to listen to it for that only that reason because I think everything else is brilliant, but just this use of silence just didn't didn't work for me anyway personally. Um, but yeah, that's just me. What about yourself, Charlie? What'd you get into this week? All right, so um, I have an extreme backlog of albums, <laughs> so uh, I've had to push some back yet again another week. Uh, but going some uh, going through a few projects regardless. Uh, Start off with. Uh, Miles, uh, with the full stop at the end, uh, Everywhere and Nowhere at All, Lil EP, four tracks, uh, just under 15 minutes, and um, it's a really good EP, as EPs go, I um, really enjoyed it, um, got this, got this, uh, you know, funky foundation, but with some contemporary R&B going on, got a nice voice with it as well, Nice little bops, definitely uh, ones that you can bump in the whip. I say that purely off uh, assumption, as someone that doesn't drive, uh, but definitely uh, something that's just uh, nice, nice for on the move. We shall say, uh, very solid little EP. Uh, definitely one I'm gonna follow for the future. Uh, Price, all caps, Price. Uh, he has two albums that have dropped this year, um, and I'll go into them both. Uh, no sleep in the city, more so. Than the uh, next one, which is Gospel in the Ghetto, um, but feel free to listen to both. Is got they got this similar through line of basically just West Coast, um, G Perico, Ray Vaughan, Jay Worthy, Cos uh, on a, on the on the on the prior album No Sleep in the City, and also got like uh, the likes of Coat the Friend and Sage of Gemini um, on the latter uh, go- uh, Gospel in the Ghetto. Um, but yeah, they're both about just under 50 minutes and, uh, well, no CBC is 33 minutes, um, so a little bit shorter, but um, yeah, really good stuff. Um, if you like your West Coast, which is something that is kind of just, you know, very lacking in terms of uh, the overall uh, overall scene, um, it's always, it's, it's always uh, embraced uh, in, on my side and um, I'm, always, I'm always down for some just uh, for some bouncy West Coast beats and, you know, just, uh, you know, that, that that kind of vibe. I'm here for that every all day, every day. And uh, lastly, Ruben James, Champagne Kisses. Um, been really into Ruben James. He has, uh, over the years, he's, been, he's collabed with uh, a ton of just noble names and uh, comes through this album just under half an hour. Um, got the likes of Joel Culpepper on here, Roy Ayers on the back end. Absolutely lush, lush little bit of a, of a pastiche funk here going on. Continuing on with the, you know, uh, with the 
kind of overall uh, vibe that people are going for in recent years. Um, I've mentioned obviously several times over the past uh, year or so that, you know, it's just these albums that come through and they just, oh, they just, they just bleed funk, right? And they, they, and it's, and it works. <laughs> it always freaking works. Um, so, and, and no, no different, uh, when it comes to Reuben James here, um, he's from Birmingham, so it, and uh, you think it wouldn't work, but it freaking works, bro. It works, it works. Um, shout out to Cartoons uh, with two R's in there, who basically does the production throughout the album as well. His name is um, basically in lockstep with Reuben James on this album, and uh, it's just a uh, yeah, just a really freaking beautiful album to listen to if you if you're like me and you. Love the Addy Oasis album from earlier this year. Um, definitely get into this. Uh, Rick Wilson and friend of five E. Joel Culpepper on the title track. Braxton Cook on Means the World. And uh, the uh, uh, the aforementioned Roy Ayers on Satisfaction as well. Um, really good album. Definitely replayable. Just comes through like a dream. <laughs> it's just, it's, just it's, it's in and it's out. It's gone. Um, but yeah, so definitely one for the album long list down the line and with that said we shall hop into our topic for this episode and it is definitely definitely one of the episodes that is gonna be i feel like kind of built for what we do on the episode to episode basis which is a retrospective right um Someone like Cannabis comes through, and when you hear that name, you think of a couple of things, right? But most of the time, I believe personally that most of the time, especially in more contemporary circles, when somebody hears the name Cannabis, they have just inherently inherited derogatory feelings about him whether someone just said said one time that oh that dude's corny don't listen to him and they probably don't or they listen to you know a certain couple of bars or they watch the one rap battle or lack of a rap battle with disaster and they just go off that and go on their merry way um but like i said this episode is definitely built for um uh, for the likes of cannabis, because um, I don't think many people actually know his story. And we honestly, I only planted the seed of it, if anything, um, for Ben anyway, because he was aware of cannabis anyway. And I wasn't really. Um, I was one of the aforementioned people that have just heard things and just never bothered listening to him. Um, but we, I recently gave Ben a link to a video by FD Signifier, um, G. Please go spin him. He's absolutely, he's got some banger videos over the past couple of years. And um, he done like an hour on cannabis and, you know, covered his story pretty well and had this good critique on cannabis as an artist and how his career uh, panned out and the reasons for that. And, uh, yeah, we're going to definitely touch on all of that. And uh, I would say some of the music. We're not going to do all of the music even though we listen to the majority of it um but there's you, you, you're gonna understand when we get into it there's this kind of just a it's, it's to stop us from repeating ourselves if anything 
<laughs> so uh yeah we'll we'll go album by album and then slightly thin out um as we go so uh yeah just be uh just just be prepared for the fact that we're not going to cover every album like we usually do um it's for good reason partly for time but also partly just because there's not really much else to say there when we get down to it so anyway ben what have you got for us yes well before i start this episode i want to say a couple of things about what it is and what it isn't we are not going to be clowning cannabis at all in this episode everything i say is not designed to make fun of him in any way laugh at him call him lame or weird or whatever nothing like that i watched his interview with math hoffer and at times it was straight up disrespectful at first i wrote low-key disrespectful it was not low-key disrespectful they laughed at him when he was trying to be open and honest about his experiences and it was painful to watch they asked him onto their platform and then clowned him that was difficult to watch when i listen to cannabis speaking interviews i see a true truly earnest and honest person someone capable of empathy and compassion someone who speaks from a place of emotion and love when he speaks about hip-hop it is with love when he speaks about eminem and ll cool j he speaks with grace maturity and genuine openness these are not common things in interviews with anyone or just general qualities within the human population these are not 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 qualities that are found very often. And I think that that is what has happened to cannabis. And I will explain that. It's not someone with, you know, trying to look cool, trying to be hard, trying to be cold or imperious or whatever most of us do on a daily basis. He's not afraid to be clowned as long as he tells the truth and lets us in on what he is thinking and feeling. So cannabis to me is definitely someone to be protected. If you're joking on him and dragging him for clicks and engagement, you are playing yourself. Taking aim at someone like Cannabis either shows to me supreme ignorance of who he is and why he's never his career never took off, sorry, or you know the story and you're just a weirdo making fun of someone else's misfortune. The only negative thing I have seen anyone say about Cannabis in all, apart from obviously LL and Eminem, but we will get to that because they have, LL especially has walked that back recently, just this year. But the only negative thing I could see anyone say in an interview when they talked about cannabis as person, like as a person, was DJ Premier in a Vlad TV interview many years back. It's about as tame as a beef as you could imagine. Primo even called it minor. Universal asked Primo to produce a single. Cannabis didn't like the beat and didn't think it fit his vision, and they went their separate ways. That's the worst thing anyone has ever said about cannabis, that he didn't like Primo's beat. That's it. So why has Cannabis' career just been destroyed? Why is he nowhere? Why do people joke on him? Why is he like perpetually joked upon? I think it's because he ended up in two of the most publicized and in retrospect, vicious beefs in hip-hop history. They say that LL ended his career and Eminem buried the casket. And I'm here to say in terms of the industry, in terms of the people around him, of friends switching sides in an instant, there are not many rappers more hard done by than Cannabis. Unlike so many artists who get destroyed in beef, for example, Ja Rule, Cannabis' actions should never have actually led to this moment. He legit did not do anything wrong from everybody's perspective. That's what makes his story sad and frustrating, but we will get to that. So he was born in Jamaica in 1974. His father played cricket for the West Indies for a short period in the late 70s. And from there, Cannabis' family began moving around regularly. Uh, the Bronx, Newark, DC, Atlanta, Miami, Buffalo, even London. And you know that fact is in at some point down the, down the road as well. He describes his early life and his early self as introverted and quiet. He finished high school without major incident. 
He left and worked for AT&T and then as a data analyst for the Department of Justice. You know, I think if people knew this, they wouldn't be as shocked at cannabis joining the army in the early 2000s. Charlie talked about it off wax, about, you know, having references on his first album to the army. But when you listen to him speak in interviews, he's not... He, he's not just got a slight reverence for establishments because he absolutely does, but he seems to fear them more than a little bit as well. He has a, a song called Patriots and a song called Buckingham, Buckingham Palace sorry, on his debut album, but neither are skewerings of the subject. You, you would expect a, a song on a cannabis album called Buckingham Palace. He's going to destroy everyone, but he doesn't. The worst thing he says is the queen has to pay to come to his shows. That's the, the worst thing he says about the royal family, which is nothing at all. So, you know, obviously, Channel Zero is on that album as well. A scorching takedown of the grand deception cannabis perceives from the US government on plenty of important things like the economy, extraterrestrial affairs, and his distrust of establishment fuels his fear of them, and we'll discover that later in the episode. But cannabis is obviously a very cerebral person, and his love of hip-hop transcends that. And judging from his lyrical content and his interviews, it may be one of the only things that does. And I'll try and explain that. Because even when he's being openly clowned by an interviewer, he remains focused and calm. But when he felt like bootleg Kev, like when he's getting clowned, when people are clowning him, he doesn't get emotional, he doesn't get angry, he doesn't push back. He just calmly explains his perspective again and then continues on. When bootleg Kev, he felt was disrespecting hip-hop in general and constantly harping about the LL battle, he immediately checked him and didn't just stop him. He explained why he loves hip-hop and why it needs to be respected. So then he got emotional and got angry and frustrated. So if people are clowning him, he doesn't seem to care. If you clown hip-hop or disrespect hip-hop, he's going to drag the shit out of you. So FD Signifier's brilliant video, which inspired me to do this very episode, describes cannabis based on cannabis' own self-reflection in interviews, as awkward and shy, as passive, and he didn't have the tools to manage his own rising stardom. This links up heavily with cannabis' own words in interviews. He describes his own lack of maturity as a roadblock early in his career, coming out of high school and meeting genuine superstars at such a young age, with so little experience, set him up for failure. But why was cannabis hanging around superstars? Why was he so highly hyped? Because he fucking was. He was writing rhymes so different from anyone else, so different. In interviews, he places himself alongside like Raskas or Rakim or Notorious Big or DMX. But in truth, his lyrical ability far outstripped even that illustrious company. I think we can all agree. If you're listening to him in the, the mid-90s or the late 90s, before his debut album, Bro, there was no one on his level. Maybe no, never in history has a rapper entered the game with such a buzz just simply around his technical ability. Nothing else, just his technical ability. You know, and you know, people might say Papoose, for example. That's the only that's the only thing I could conjure. That's the only person, maybe Big Pun, but Big Pun had been in the game for a long time before the late 90s and before he'd started to really explode. I mean, Buster Rhymes came in but it was his cadence and it was his flow and dmx but it was his emotion and his energy and his delivery papoose maybe but i'm not putting papoose anywhere near the lyrical level of cannabis even at the start even when pap was just destroying mixtapes so cannabis got his foot in the door in hip-hop through the business side you'll hear him talk about street teams and promo campaigns and slapping posters on light poles he was working in a managerial capacity around the lost boys in the mid-90s for example and Cannabis describes himself as just eager to be part of hip-hop in any capacity. His goal was always to 
ascend as high as he conceivably could, but his goal in that was to help hip-hop the best way that he possibly can. If all this sounds far too wholesome for a battle rapper named Cannabis, I promise you it isn't. This sounds mad. I know it does. Like, he's like but Cannabis lyrically destroys people. His on-mic persona was decidedly more violent and uncompromising than his real one was. You know, and this energy, whilst it was eventually his downfall, was initially his ally. He began to ingratiate himself with the industry heavy hitters, and his rhymes eventually made their way to DJ Clue after he'd appeared on the Lost Boys track, Music Makes Me High. Now, I don't think anyone in hip-hop history would have appreciated a new MC of Cannabis's lyrical stature more than DJ Clue. He built a legacy of pitting legendary MCs against each other over brilliant instrumentals. And Cannabis sounded like he was devouring rappers in his sleep at this point. He was destroying people lyrically. He got the first two tracks on Universal's 96 compilation One Leg Up on the competition, and then he managed to pop up on Common's uh, 97 project One Day It'll All Make Sense. And this legitimized Cannabis in a way not much else could because Common was fresh off his own boost of popularity after destroying Ice Cube, and Cannabis came onto this album and ate him up, like, as he does. And, you know, listen to these lyrics for your major debut as a feature artist. Step into me with insuperior weaponry, exposing yourself to the verbal radiation, saying you can defeat me is nothing but speculation. Lyrics unravel faster than bullets travel through barrels. People be digging my stars like fossils of pterodactyls. Who want a battle? I'm bad to the bone marrow. The earth got one sung, but I walk with three shadows. With Allah, my supernatural bodyguard, people couldn't touch me if they gave me a massage. That's a bit, you know... MCs who compete with lyrics and beats get crushed. I'll hit you chest. You hit you in your chest so hard, your shoulders will touch. Just imagine that imagery. Just bang, whoop, like it's just that's the kind of thing, bro. By this stage, cannabis freestyles were falling like rain on mixtape listeners' ears, and he was winning favor everywhere. Math Hoffer asked cannabis why people kept giving him fifty bar verses on their songs. And Cannabis said it was because he was hot. He said he can't really explain it, but no one turned him down. And I think it's easy to explain. No one was hotter than Cannabis at this point. His punchlines were Big L level. His knowledge was Jizza level. His venom was DMX level. He was maxing out in like four or five categories when most rappers struggled to do well in one. All of this naturally put him in the orbit of a legend like LL Cool J. Now, Cannabis tells a story thus, because I'm saying all this because it comes before his debut album. Cannabis and a friend were discussing the tattoo on LL's arm before he'd even met LL, and they were ranking it against other rappers' tattoos. Now, Cannabis loved the tattoo, and he loved LL, so when they came into each other's orbit to create this song, Cannabis asked LL if he could get a similar tattoo. LL said he could, but he has to accept what comes with it, and in one of the funniest moments in Cannabis' interview history, Cannabis said if he'd known that that meant that he was just going to get destroyed in a 25-year beef, then he would have left the whole thing alone. But he didn't. He thought all LL meant was you got to keep bringing it on the mic. That's the whole point. So Cannabis interpreted LL's words wrongly, and he rapped, L, is that a mic on your arm? Let me borrow that. Now, L obviously took offense to this. This was on the 4321 remix, the LL song. Um, and then LL did some nasty, nasty, shady shit. So, Wikipedia claims a following, and it has been said in interviews before. Cannabis agreed to remove the line about LL's microphone on his arm. LL came to him and said, please remove that line. Not acceptable. Cannabis, who just misinterpreted and made a mistake, was like, okay, cool, I'll move it. But... 
you have to change your verse because LL had just spent his entire verse eviscerating cannabis over that one line. So allegedly, LL agrees to remove his verse, change it, do something different. So cannabis removes that bar, song comes out, LL's a verse, the exact same as it was before, just scathing. He used his entire verse to destroy cannabis, who unwittingly has just walked into this situation. He has no idea what's going on. He's on a track with a legend. And he says, you know, in interviews, he's like, this was like the greatest opportunity I ever had. And LL just turned it into stupidity by just destroying him. I mean, cannabis was young at this point. He was a lot younger than LL. And, you know, Redman explained it really, really well. And I'm, I'm harping on about this because it's a big thing. You know, it really defined Cannabis's early career. FD Signifier said that it could have been the jumpstart to his career. I mean, if you come into the game with a debut album with Wyclef Sean on your, you know, executive producing, you've got a beef with one of the biggest rappers of all time. People think you're a lyrical monster. These are three big things that you come into the game with just super hype. So that debut album, everyone's ready for it. So Redman said this, I don't know why, I kind of heard what Cannabis said on the record. Cannabis was dope, he was young, he was humble, he would listen to everyone, he wasn't cocky. Even though he was a fucking beast, he was very humble. And he was hanging with the Death Squad a lot. And I knew that when he did that verse, it wasn't aimed at LL. But LL was a beast and a cocky motherfucker. He's not going to let you say slick shit. Cannabis said that in a way of saying, I respect you, LL. I respect you so much. I cannot believe, LL, that you allowed me to be on this record with four of the greats. I can't believe I'm part of this circle. Thank you, LL. Let me get that mic off your arm and show you what I can do. That's what I think he presented it as. Not on somebody else's opportunity fucking it up. That wasn't cannabis at all. He was cool with the crew and we would have definitely let him know. But when we heard it, we didn't take offense. We just heard LL went back in, did a verse and was airing shit out. And we were like, yo, what the fuck? So Redman has just come out and said, LL just blew this shit way the fuck out of proportion. And that's what happened. And cannabis was unwittingly and unfairly dragged into a beef with someone that he adored. And because of his battle heart and mixtapes days and reams of verses taking lyrical aim at anyone who dares to cross him, he was hardwired into this beef or he'd have to forfeit his career before it even began, really. He couldn't say, oh, I don't want to beef with you, LL. I'm not going to do it. Like people would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But because of that, because LL misinterpreted a single bar, Cannabis's life changed entirely after that point. And then we get to his debut album, Can I bus so first of all um i say this in jest but i kind of want to know when you know the term bus and nut actually came through because i need i need to know where, where the crossover was because he keeps saying it and it and it's just like you know he actually raps on a song can i kick it <laughs> and i'm sitting there like i know why did you <laughs> what Cannabis, please. I know. We're trying to defend you, Cannabis. Please. No. <laughs> Look, it, we're not clowning on it's him. These so are just funny. like, it's just these like. It's, 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 no, it's just there. It's just there, it's bro. Just, it's just there. It's not even clouded. It's just, it's just there, just bro. Like, come on. Eat a dude's ass. Come on, bro. You can't, it's, what, I mean, what, sometimes what you want to eat a dude's what ass. What else can we possibly There's do? There's nothing wrong with eating. What else can we possibly do but not say There is that? nothing on, wrong funny as with shit. eating a dude's ass. I'm just going to put it out there and say it. Oh, yeah. Of course. You know, we, we uh, <clears throat> as is, uh, it is Pride Month, we, uh, you know, consider um, ourselves Pride to month. be allies. Fucking of... eat some ass. Don't give a shit eat about it. Pride Month. Eat that ass, bro. If you want to eat a man's you know ass, I mean, you bro. eat his ass. 
Oh, fuck it up. All right. Let's get into it. All right. So, um, yeah, this is, I I feel like this is an album everyone needs to listen to at least. Yes. You got to understand. It, it, it has, it has like, it's, it's really a great, a great distillation of who cannabis is as, you know, a rapper, as a artist, et cetera, et cetera. It has his wit, it has his flex, it has these, you know, just this energy about it. Um, it has some conceptual things going on. It has some just absolutely wild fucking bars, obviously, which, you know, we'll most likely get to. And it has a freaking good diss track on it. <laughs> like, second round knockout isn't actually fucking top tier uh uh diss track to the point where i'm kind i was kind of listening to it and thinking is this top five diss tracks it might just be it's right there if anything because i'm because i'm you know we, we we talked about it you know a few times over the years right you know i i considered like you know likes of you know no vaseline story of added on uh, you know, you you always shout out the bitch and you, which he does actually mention, funny enough, in this actual track. Um, literally at the end, or not the end, but the end of the second verse. Uh, fuck that, because like Common and Cube, I see the bitch in you, and I'll make the world see see it too. Like, he mentions it as well, so, you know, that's something. But um, on top of that, Mike fucking Tyson, bro. <laughs> Mike Tyson is on this track, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't listened to it before, I hate to spoil it for you, but Mike Tyson is actually on this. Think about it. It's fucking hilarious. Think about how insane that is. Cannabis didn't come into that sounds, That's an LL Cool J type Exactly. Flex. I can see LL Cool J. But doing cannabis that. didn't come into the game but, like but LL. Cannabis did it. Cannabis did not come into the game like LL. LL had, LL had Rick Rubin behind him. He had the shirt off. He had yep. the big chain on. Yep. He was yep. big. Big cannabis came yep. into the game just rapping like a hundred bars on people's ver on songs. He didn't have a, a single. He wasn't on more money, more problems. He wasn't on you know. He wasn't LOX who came into the game with Diddy. He came into the game a fucking spitter, and he ends up with Mike Tyson on his debut album. Like that's led. That's how high he was at that point without being commercial. That's how much hype he had. Mike Tyson in '98. That's peak Mike Tyson. Like. Who else are you going to get on the first like getting a bomber on your album? Like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. Um, let me read some of the first verse just to get it off because um, it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Uh, so when you say that you're platinum, you're only dropping clues. I study your background, read the book that you wrote, researched your footnotes about how you used to sniff coke. Finding like a drug-free role model, you disgust me. I know bitches that seen you smoke weed recently. You walk around showing off your body because it sells. Plus to avoid the fact that you ain't got skills. Mad at me because I kick that shit real niggas feel. While 99% of your fans wear high heels. I love that. That's, From Ice-T yeah. to Cool Mo D to Jay-Z. Now you want to fuck with me? You must be crazy. You dripping with whack juice and you can't get it off. You better be prepared to finish where you start. It's just, it's really fucking good. I'm sorry. It's a really fucking good track. As diss tracks go, it is so high up there. The Mike Tyson appearance alone 
puts it top 10 and the actual bars themselves puts it top 5. It's, for me personally, it's absolutely wild. Now, for the remainder of the album, there are tracks here that, you know, kind of... I, I mean, there's a track called Get Retarded here. Like, it's, yeah, it's a rough it's, one. It's, it's some it's, bad you know, lyrics. It has these... It has these, there's some bad lyrics in here, okay? There's just some, there's there's some real just dated shit here, right? But um, Ben mentioned this off wax, and there's a track, there's a track called Nigonometry, which is in 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 this, it's probably a very the quintessential cannabis yeah. track. If I'm really thinking about it, if like if you told me. What's the f- I mean, what's the if I listen to one cannabis track that would encapsulate cannabis, what is it? I'm so, I'm thinking it's nigonometry for me personally because he literally starts this off with a fucking maths question that I actually don't know the answer to. I can't even I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know the answer. I don't care. It's just it's but he actually says it like a like it's a high school fucking paper. Now if a bitch suck your dick. For five dollars per inch per square inch, and gets forty dollars, including a five dollar tip. How big was the dick she just sucked? They used that in my <laughs> math exam at university. I couldn't what? figure that shit out. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, mathematics it's right so there. Wild. And in the second verse, now if you take a glass of water, then add two cubes of ice. You should see the cup's water level slightly rise, right? You need to watch what I'm going to show you. Brackets, watch this. You need to look closely at what I'm going to show you. <laughs> Listen to this right here. It really primes you up. Really primes you up for this shit. If you remove every living animal out of the sea, then wouldn't the world's ocean water level decrease? This means the planet wasn't three quarters water. It's... He's oh, figuring just, shit out, bro. He's just like, figuring what? shit out. That would... <laughs> like most people are just spitting just the most regular degular shit. Where it's like you know, get money, get, get bitches, money. and you know, get money. It's just it's simple. It's easy to it's easy to listen to, and it's and it doesn't it doesn't fry your brain in any fashion. But when you actually attempt to listen to these tracks and actually attempt to listen to the lyrics, you're just like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it just doesn't make it just doesn't make sense. He's so he's very unique in that way where he actually forces you to think in a in a way that you may or may not want to. But fuck, I don't know anybody else that even attempts to uh, even attempts to. Uh, 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 put you in this particular spot or particular train of thought and makes you think about certain things. It's just like, if if a 40-40... Huh? Yeah, and then you're just like, okay, fuck it, you don't want to bother. But, hey, man. It's, it's a, like I said at the start, it's an album that I feel like everybody needs to listen to at least once because I don't think there's a hip-hop album like this. Um, It's just it's so esoteric in so many ways. And is it good? I mean, interpretation is very a very uh, key thing here. Um, this is a very subjective. Uh, this this album requires very subjective thought. Um, you can find the fact that he's making you think about these 
things that you may or may not want to think about, you may enjoy that. You may like the fact that he does that. Um, but you also may be completely turned off by the fact. So this is a 50-50 album if I've ever seen one. Um, I personally find it um, kind of enjoyable in a... Uh, in a kind of in a kind of jesty way I don't I'm trying I, I don't want to I don't listen to this with any particular seriousness um, and if I go if I go down that route and actually listen to it without much seriousness um, then it's actually pretty decent the production solid shout out to Wyclef and obviously um, and Wonder um, it's it's decent. It's decent. I can't really, um, you know. There's there's plenty of things wrong about it. There's plenty of things very unique about it. Um, but hey, man, it's an album that will definitely it will make a reviewer out of everybody. Everyone will have a thought about it if you listen to it. It's true. Uh, with with some form of uh, with some form of attention. I'll try and explain what happened with this album because, look. We said on this pod before that Nicki Minaj's debut album had more pressure placed on it than any other debut album in hip-hop history. I think Cannabis is a decent choice for second on that list, though, because he had to do three things with this album. Remember, this is a man who hasn't released a mixtape, barely created any of his own solo songs, done do hooks. All he does is destroy people in guest verses. That's what he's done thus far. Now, his debut album had to do these three things because once he had that beef with LL, he couldn't come in with the infamous... That wasn't going to work unless you had an entire like album of disses. This was 1998. This wasn't 94 anymore. Diddy had already come. You know, this was Biggie had already do- dropped Juicy. Like, you know, you had to do something different to be commercially successful. So he had to, number one, he had to overcome the belief that he was just a battle rapper who could write a bar but couldn't write a song. Number two, he had to maintain the belief that he was an incredible battle rapper still because his entire core fan base was built off that. And number three, he had to somehow respond to LL Cool J, who was at the absolute pinnacle of his own brand and fame and everything else. LL Cool J in the late 90s, bro, his first number one album came in the year 2000. He had descended to levels he had never been before. So the first thing you do is go get Wyclef. You know, in Wyclef's words to Math Hoffer, he said, automatically, we connected on a different vibe. The frequencies he was on, we could all relate to because having Caribbean parents, the idea of studying and understanding, Cannabis is the first person I saw set up a website. Cannabis was also the first person I saw writing his lyrics on a computer like a robot. So then he talks about sparring lyrically with Cannabis and saying that it energized him and made him realize he's a great rapper as well, Wyclef. So he connected with Cannabis on a lot of levels. Now, Clef has huge respect and love for Cannabis and still does to this day. But if you look back at it, whilst it would have been a slightly exciting but also quite odd pairing back in 98, with the benefit of hindsight, is one of the wildest and least likely to work pairings of all time because Wyclef is an innovator sonically and conceptually. He creates tapestries of songs and he leans them in whatever direction he wants. Hip-hop, electro, dance, rock. Every major genre is accounted for in his discography. Cannabis is, literally in Clef's words, robotic. He's unflinching. He's unfaltering. He finds the mathematics in music, whereas Clef finds the emotion. But Clef did understand the assignment. It's not like he wasn't embroiled in his own beef with one of the greatest rappers of all time, which is Lauren Hill. And whomever you feel was in the right in the beef, you have to admit that they kind of came out lyrically in the end, came out even. You know, No one really topped anyone. You wouldn't be like, 
oh, Lawrence destroyed Wyclef, or Wyclef destroyed Lauren, and they didn't take heaps of shots at each other, but they were taking shots at each other on Wyclef's own album, so, you know, that was some Fleetwood Mac shit. But he told Math Hoffa this, Cannabis is a big LL fan, I won't go into the story, but he was mad, and he wanted to do something about it, this is about the diss. So I told him, all right, now we have to go put a scheme together. This is LL, we know how he's gonna come, we gotta get ready. So we went and got Mike Tyson, uh, so there's like, let's just come up with a scheme. It's like playing chess. We have to think ahead of LL. So let's get the diss out of the way first. Second round knockout, huge song, huge response. But people don't talk about it anymore. You know, it's pretty much just interviewers who talk about it's cannabis and he feels like he's obliged to. First off, the Mike Tyson intro would have hit like Thor's fucking hammer in 98. Like, that's some peak pinnacle Mike Tyson. Like, that was incredible. And as Charlie said, bro, it's a great freaking song. He Cannabis comes in with straight up violations in this song. He calls LL out for not keeping his word about changing the verse, accuses him of being a drug user, makes fun of him because most of his fans are women, calls him out for disrespecting Biggie by calling himself the greatest rapper of all time. You know, there is also a healthy helping of homophobia. Um, I assume this song was on Nas's vision board when he wrote Ether. You know, it's similar. Relax. Similar, <laughs> similar level. Yeah. Uh, but then it gets super weird, and I bring this up because it's the perfect entrance into, I think, why this album failed. I don't think it failed because of the hooks or the production or his vocal delivery or his flow or the choice of single or the general vibe and aesthetic. I think it failed because of exactly what we talked about at the start of this episode. Dud bars. There's a dud bar on pretty much every single song on this album. You're listening through and then you just get hit with some mathematics about the size of a penis or, you know, how women should stay at home. And I'm not even going to get into that one. Did I say that at the start or did I say that off wax? I don't know. I'm not going to repeat it because it's disgusting. There's a lot, man. There's, you know, that whole song where he starts off about really not nice things with regards to women. That whole song is dedicated to reducing violence in hip hop which is a reply to the violence that took Park and Big uh, whilst Cannabis was recording this album. It's a great song, but the first four bars are so horrible. It's like there's nothing else in the whole song anywhere near that level of disrespect or, or nastiness. So it's like, why include them? It's not necessary. And that's kind of what happened throughout this album. Now, the album did not fail at all commercially initially. It went number two on the Billboard 200, and it sat right behind Lauren Hill. He was never going to get number one, but he would have if Lauren, you know, she was in her, like her eighth week or something, so it was just wasn't going to happen. 22, number number 22 the week after. Not great, but not unheard of. Critical reception was lukewarm. Uh, the response to second round KO was similar, lukewarm. Why Clef and Cannabis have differing thoughts on why the album didn't do what people predicted. Clef said, Cannabis does a record... Uh, second round knockout produced by me and Jerry Wonder and the tone of the record, the sample, the gothic vibe, very excited, came up with a scheme for the video. The record is so crazy that the streets want 10 more of those. They wanted the exact thing that was going on there. So Clef then talks about the response to the record not being what they expected. And Clef says, to me, that's when we start work. That's when we get in the studio and figure out what the fuck we're going to do next. Clef was tapped the fuck in. Cannabis, unfortunately, decided to blame the lack of success on Wyclef. He said that the album didn't succeed because of Wyclef. Wyclef, he claimed, fucked it up. And they just disconnected for that short period of time. And then Cannabis went away and worked with other people. Um, But it's fascinating because as Charlie said, it's not a bad album. 
but a lot of people call it disappointing. And I personally think it's disappointing if you project what you wanted onto the album. If you listen to cannabis and you're like, right. this is what I expect cannabis to do next. You know, yeah, for example, this is cannabis. For but. example, FD Signifier talks about cannabis being the pre Eminem Eminem. He claims that Eminem based a lot of himself off cannabis. Now, I'm not sure how true that is, but the way that he talks about it, you could see that what he expected from the cannabis album was similar to what Eminem gave us with Marshall Mathers LP, which is a lot of lyrical stuff, a lot of lyrical miracle stuff, but also a shitload of storytelling, great concepts, incredible flow. Eminem, you're not going to touch him. That's not fair. You can't project that onto cannabis. I love FD Signifier, incredible, but I don't think you could project that onto cannabis. And so I think all of us have these ideas of what we wanted cannabis to do on that debut album. He didn't really do any of them, let's face it. And I think that's why it failed. I don't think it failed because cannabis is you know, he dropped in these, for me, that's what I, when I said the, the reason it failed, for me, it's because of these landmine bars that just pop up every now and then that I'm like, oh no, you've just taken me out of the experience. I can't, you know, you've said something and I'm like, I don't know, that's terrible. That's not a good bar. And then I'm thinking about that bar as a song. But again, that's just me. Fuck, I listen to Lil Wayne. How the hell can I say that? That's not fair of me to place that on cannabis. I'm listening to Lil Wayne and I'm he says like six or seven of those a song. And I'm like, yeah, I don't give a fuck about that. I'm just waiting for the hot bars. Don't worry about the bad bars. So it's unfair. So personally, that's why I think the album failed. So 2000 BC and the Eminem beef. Once again, cannabis got stitched up and is gross. So Wyclef during his interview with Math Hoffer said his dream was to get cannabis and Eminem together to do a song, a dream that he shared with Jimmy Iovine. And for a good portion of time before the beef popped off, it was actually shared by Eminem and Cannabis. Cannabis has been open in expressing his love for Eminem at all times, pre, mid, and post beef, at all times. And Eminem isn't one to gush like that in an interview. That's not how he generally talks. But Wyclef confirmed that Eminem felt the same way about Cannabis before they met. He liked him. But when they did meet, unfortunately, Cannabis displayed that tendency he had on his debut album to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's something that Cannabis has done most of his career. Not most of his career, but when he does it, it's a big, you know, the LL thing, now the Eminem thing, obviously the battle thing, which we will get to at some point. But in Cannabis' words, he had been told that Eminem had written on the Ripper Strikes Back, which is LL's Cannabis diss. This kind of links up timeline-wise. The song came out April 28th, 98. So Slim Shady EP was out. The Rap Olympics had happened. Jimmy and Dr. Dre were in pursuit of Eminem. I don't know if they, you know, signed him yet at that point. It is conceivable that he made it to LL Cool J this early, but who knows? You don't know. Eminem hasn't, you know, for Eminem's, he disagreed. He said, I did not write on that song at all. So I'm inclined to believe Cannabis's version of events in terms of, I don't think Cannabis made it up. Let's put it that way. I think this person who told Cannabis that Eminem wrote on this song probably gave him bad information. So when Cannabis met Eminem, he straight up said to him, someone told me that you wrote LL's diss towards me. Is that true? Eminem said, absolutely not. And apparently appeared very offended to be asked. And that was it. But that was enough. To be fair to Eminem, he felt that cannabis had been rude towards him. So in Eminem's eyes, it was time to end cannabis's career. So this prompted him to take shots at him on his debut album, Slim Shady LP in 99. He says, I'm so cancerous. 
So if when I diss you, you wouldn't want to answer this, if you responded back to a battle rap, you vote for cannabis, like, you know, it was just a throwaway line. It was He used to do that. He did that with Mark Wahlberg, for example. Back when Mark Wahlberg was Marky Mark, this is how he used to make the party start. And that whole story about the Marky Mark thing was, I think they were at TRL or they were at one of those things, and Mark Wahlberg was there. And the one thing they told him, Mark Wahlberg didn't tell Eminem this, but someone else told him, don't ever call him Marky Mark. He doesn't like to be called Marky Mark. So Eminem was like, well, fuck you. I'm going to call you Marky Mark on my whole fucking album. So that's what he did. And I see this line about cannabis similarly. It's just a toe in the water. Let's test it. Let's see what the temperature's like. Cannabis kind of, you know, he was a bit alarmed. He wanted to collab with Eminem, and he meant no malice in asking if he ghost wrote the diss, at least him in, in his and Clef's words. I'm inclined to believe them because Cannabis' next action was not to diss Eminem. It was to try and reconcile. So he meets with Eminem on the Warp Tour and asks Eminem if they can squash the beef. Eminem agrees, and they talk about possibly collaborating again. Unfortunately, Eminem then continued with the pettiness. So Cannabis asked Eminem to hop on the song Fuck You on his 2000 BC sophomore album. But Eminem declined, saying he didn't feel the whole concept of the record. And to be fair to Eminem, that concept is weird. It's weird bars, there's no real theme. It's almost like there is a theme, but Cannabis doesn't even know what it is. Like, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The song is, is a massive mess. It's typical Cannabis, it's just bars. And they don't seem to link up. I don't know what's going on in the song. So Eminem allegedly felt like this song, Fuck You, was actually a diss aimed at him and LL Cool J. Now, there's really only one bar that could conceivably be aimed at Eminem. And it's right at the end of the song. He raps, it's all right if you don't trust me because I don't trust you. As a matter of fact, I'll probably bust you, motherfucker. Fuck you. Now... We've listened to heaps of cannabis. He says that shit all the time. It's not aimed at anyone. Like cannabis, you know, if you're a cannabis fan, you know how he raps. His battle raps are fire because they sound specific, right? They sound like they're aimed at someone real, but it's just someone that he's constructed in his head or whatever. It's an adversary. So you hear bars like this littered through his entire discography, bars that sound like they're about someone, but there's no theme. They're just throwaway bars. And I don't think it was aimed at Eminem at all. I think it was just the way that Cannabis raps. I think if you went through that album with a fine-tooth comb, you could find 10 or 15 bars that might be aimed at Eminem. So then we get to the harsh part. As Wyclef said, just because Cannabis' debut album didn't hit like it should, it didn't mean anything in the grand scheme. Classic debut is great, but you're always chasing it. You don't have to have a classic debut to have a great career in hip-hop. Trash debut means nothing if the sophomore hits hard, provided the label still backs you. I mean, Eminem is a great example of that. Infinite came out, no one cared. Slim Shady LP comes out, fucking stratosphere, moon. So, Clef was looking at the big picture and seeing the chessboard ahead of them. Cannabis was looking at the picture and seeing blackball stamped across his career. He alleges to Math Hoffa that certain of his lyrical adversaries were actually conspiring to shut his career down. He claims these people would even pay off promoters for shows that had booked him so that they would drop him. He even explained the mathematics. He said a promoter would book him and promise him half his show fee up front. These institutions, as he called them, would come in, pay the promoter double his original fee. So they get 1.5 times what they were going to get if he played the show in the first place. 
And cannabis got kicked out and he still got half his fee. He was being frozen out. He said his ad prices weren't, were going up. At one point, his ads weren't even going up at all. He said he felt the squeeze. And amongst all of this, he's trying to record his second album. He was still at Universal, but his feud with Wyclef meant he needed a new production team. This collection is a little bit odd. You've got DJ Clue in there with Juro. Irv Gotti has a credit. And it's a massive chart downgrade, number 23 this time. The album is pretty much exactly as the reviewers say. It is an upgrade on his debut, but it still isn't what you would expect from cannabis or maybe what I would expect from cannabis. One bright spot is the rapper journalist. Um, he was incredible on here. And, you know, he said this about cannabis to Hip Hop DX, and I'll end on this for this, this album. He says, he gave me the opportunity when no one else would. People can affiliate me with him, but me and cannabis are two different people. His situation ain't got to do with my situation. That's not being a man if you put another person's situation on somebody, somebody else. Holler at me if you want to know anything about me. That's cool. But he said, one thing I learned from cannabis was to stay on top of your game because there's always people that make you stay on your job. And that's what was happening to cannabis at this point. This like fear and anxiety around these people, these establishments, these institutions who were trying to take away his career. At least that's how he felt. And, you know, cannabis was about to be knocked off that spot. And this was the last time that people really gave a shit about cannabis until the battle, to be 100% honest, because then he went independent and, you know, then we get see true Hollywood stories. Uh, yeah. So um, this is uh, that album that people consider his worst. <laughs> it's a bad one. I think, I, think it, I mean, it is in a sense that people ain't listening to people didn't listen to his albums like you know past this and he past maybe rip the jacker so like yeah technically right but you know there's there's some there's some there's some mid uh and some you know stuff going on down below as well there's also a bit white but yes this is um this contains the track your teeth is yellow um where it's so weird it's so weird that someone who, you know, just it, it just writes so many bars about so many things and then proceeds to drop a track like this where he goes, I never thought it could come down to this. Your teeth is yellow. It's a subject that I just can't resist. Your teeth is yellow. You got jokes, but here's one for you. But this one here is for you. Your teeth is yellow. It, it keeps going on one line your teeth is yellow another line your teeth is yellow why the fuck is this track here it's just it, I, I, it's, it boggles my mind how weird this is but the, f the thing is is that if I feel like this album just could have been better because I like the concept see true, true Hollywood stories I get it right you know it's obviously you know a riff off the E true Hollywood stories which is a I don't even know if it's still on these days um, I couldn't care less, but, um, you know, it was a thing back in the day, definitely. I used to love it. Um, yeah, there you go. Ben loved it. Fun fact of the day. There you go. Um, and, <laughs> you know, he, I can I can see the potential. I can see it. I can see it happening. Maybe, like, you know, just, you know, stories about the rapping, the ills of the rap industry and, you know, in Hollywood and so such and such. And, you know, he's he, he, clearly he's a dude that puts in research. So I feel like, you know, it could have been decent. But you have shit like the teeth, your teeth is yellow. And 
there's a lot of tracks here where there's just some some just some really unnecessary features I'm just listening to and I'm kind of, it's kind of it's all just glazing over me um you know and then you know you have that you didn't care which is the quote unquote controversial track um where it's basically a uh interpolation of Eminem stand but he kind of flips it on his head uh basically dissing Eminem in some fashion but instead telling this story about this you know about this kid who instead fucks with cannabis and goes you know I don't like Eminem anymore da, 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 da. um and it's you know it's not it's not second round knockout but there's some good stuff in here it's not it's not too bad right um they did some tests on me at NIH in Maryland. Maryland. Uh, they showed me techniques to help me deal with the pressure. Uh, whenever I remember that crazy night when I was being reckless, driving with a death wish on the bridge, I crashed into a Lexus. Right before I finished that last sentence, I was listening to Exhibit's album Restless. Next thing I knew, I was underwater and breathless. I was unconscious for a second, literally dying to go to heaven. Till some fellas came and pulled me from the wreckage. They started CPR. They, then they called paramedics. In retrospect... I should have used a gun to end it. It's there's some there's some deep shit in here. Um and you know, verse three starts off with after a couple months of therapy, I figured I was ready as I'd ever be. I wanted to be an MC. He took me to shows with him, he let me flow with him, he let me write some rhymes and go on tour with him. Like it's 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 got it's, as stories go, it's not it's pretty freaking decent, right? Um it's a pretty solid uh pretty solid track, but yeah, then but Again, this has it had the potential to be decent, but it kind of just goes into stuff. It, it just it just it just talks about different things. It's just uh, it's just odd. Um, he talks about um the Rockefeller. He basically disses the entire Rockefeller label. It's <laughs> <laughs> in I got a story to tell. Um, tell your eyes to keep my name out the mouth, or you won't have no peace. Compared to cannabis, you pit bulls is poultry. You and Biggie made a dope team. Buy a roast beans. Be careful how you approach things. My name ain't Jay to the Jay to the Moa man. I got a flow that stings. It's rap music. You confuse it if you want to. I might diss you just to see what you gonna do. You must be getting insecure or something. I'm just admiring your shit, man. I ain't gotta touch it. And he just goes on and on, and you know, there you go. So it's uh, it's just a random. This track to uh, Rockefeller as a label in some fashion. Um, but the deeper it goes, the more I'm just like... Uh, funny enough, there's a, there's a track called Let Me Hear Something Else, and that's kind of where I got to the point of, I want to hear something else. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, no. Oh yeah, I'll end on that because I can't. Fi- uh, I'll probably never think of a joke uh, that I can cap it off better than that. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. And then we'll leave the episode there. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Fuck, bro. We're we're an hour in already. Oh, we've gone to three hours. We gotta get Fuck. this shit, bro. All right, come on. We we got because this is important shit. This is important. Bust for it. <laughs> Alright, look, man, I'm going to talk about this album too, and then I'm going to talk about Rip the Jacker, then I'm going to talk about the battle, and then I'm I'm out. But these, this uh, this album is important. Okay, Ben's out. This album, <laughs> Ben's out. This album is important. Okay, so this was the Let's end. This was the end of the career that many felt cannabis deserved. 
Uh, when 2000 BC dropped and it didn't scale the commercial heights of his debut, um, the mainstream game was pretty much up for him, and Universal let him go, and whilst Cannabis will claim it was his institutions, aka the people he was beefing with, blocking his moves and blocking him out of the industry, the facts do remain that he was heading downward at a time when everyone else was heading upward in hip-hop commercially. Hip-hop was exploding into the mainstream of the ubiquity of the hard work from people like Diddy, Jermaine Dupree and Dre in the 90s, working on crossing hip-hop over into the countrywide mainstream. You could argue that 1998 was the watershed year from it, and things only went higher from there. LL Cool J had his first ever number one album in the year 2000, for example. But Cannabis was heading back down in the opposite direction. Now... Whilst Ghostface may have been able to transition into the 2000s mainstream success with a 1995 aesthetic, it didn't seem like there were going to be room for two people to do that, and cannabis was being relegated. Now, if you take someone's money away and their means of distribution, you take away their career, pretty much. As FD Signifier said, 2001 was not 2023. You couldn't upload your song to Spotify or SoundCloud or your video to YouTube and go viral for free. You needed distribution, promotion, marketing budget, everything had to be paid for. Everything was physical. Everything was analog. We're all doing it, you know, the way we had to do it. You had to need distribution. You had to pay for studio beats, uh, studios in general, features, placements, CDs, videos, singles. People, you had to print CDs, bro. You couldn't just... It's not easy. It's not a SoundCloud file. It's not an MP3. You had to have a physical copy for people to go buy. You had to have people to answer phones, people to work out merchandise, touring. It's intense and immense. And being an independent artist in the 90s and early 2000s was like dropping from the Premier League down to League One. It is a dip. It is a huge dip. And it's unavoidable for the independent artist. The only way to overcome it was money. You couldn't overcome it with hard work and virality. Or because you were such a genius that people just gravitated towards you. You needed someone to say, I can make more money off you than I will have to pay you. So here you go. And off you go. That's literally it, man. There's no other algorithm. There's no other equation. It's as simple as that. And Cannabis's version is the people who make those decisions were allied against him after his public beef with Eminem and LL Cool J. I'm sure those decision makers will tell a different story, but I'm not inclined to disagree with Cannabis, to be 100% honest. Yes, he was on the way down commercially, but why? I think it was because he got bullied out of the, out of the industry. And what it amounted to was Clef's fear. Cannabis disappeared. You can't impact the game in any real way if you're sitting in the stands watching it play out in front of you. And Cannabis was relegated to the bench as he watched Eminem destroy him multiple times on songs that people now recognize as genuine anthems. Like he was getting schooled, bro. It was tough. See True Hollywood Stories was his final attempt to reclaim the narrative. It's a concept album loosely based around this idea that Cannabis had. What if Stan from the Marshall Mathers LP had lived? What if he made it to safety? What would happen? Now, during the Math Hoffa interview, he explains being in Amsterdam in the red light district when he first heard the song Stan, and he felt the song was personal. He didn't say explicitly he felt it was a diss aimed at him, but he also said the song was talking to him. Now, whether he felt like it resonated with him or whether he thought Eminem was dissing him or not dissing him, but talking to him directly. So he decided to run a loose narrative through this album, which is his first independent record. Centering around the life of Stan. You Didn't Care sounds like an actual Eminem beat, for example. And because it's so overt right at the start of the album, it's impossible not to attribute pretty much every targeted bar to Eminem. It feels like most of the album is a diss. 
and it fell super flat, needless to say. And it certainly sparked Eminem to continue his offensive on Cannabis's career. He dropped multiple bars on the Eminem show, for example. And this is where I do want to deviate from talking purely about the music because I feel like that's a very solid overview of where Cannabis was when he dropped off the grid somewhat. He enlisted in the army, and although he was never deployed overseas, he spent quite a bit of time in it working around transportation. He was also pushing hard into the internet, which sounds really dumb right now, but back then he was a genuine pioneer, one of the first mainstream rappers with his own website, one he designed and created himself. He's often described as the first rapper to embrace social media, and it's definitely a side of his career that isn't spoken about enough in my view. He was a pioneer in this space. He talks to an interviewer very early about adding content to his CDs, so if you put the CD into your computer, it's like a CD-ROM all of a sudden. You know, you can listen to music or watch videos or play games. But I remember those CDs so fucking well. They had a little thing on it, like little CD-ROM thing, and you're like, oh, snap, I can put this in my little... And yeah, computers used to have CD things in them, guys. And you'd press the button and the tray would come out and you'd put the CD in and the tray would go back in. And that's how we did everything back then. So cannabis would put content on that. And that was not common. It was not common, but cannabis was doing it very early. He did all that himself, man. He told an interviewer he'd begun to look outside of hip-hop for his next vocations, and these were his experimentations with seeing what else the world has to offer. In a different interview, he describes how downtrodden he felt during this period. He mentions the song Stand coming out, and he tells the story of when he first heard it, what it meant to him, how it affected him, considering his beef with Eminem, and just his confusion at how the fuck it all started. You think about it, he's like... The two beefs that ended my career, I was trying to show love to these people and they just destroyed him. Like it's, you think about, he's confused. Like how the fuck wouldn't he be confused? And he would never drop another major label album into the mainstream world. He ceased to exist at this point until Eminem dropped an album and then dissed him. That was the only time people even heard the name Cannabis. It was very sad. And Cannabis got dissed by Eminem 25 times from 1999 to 2002, which was 14th on Eminem's total list as of 2019, which is very high. 14 is high. Eminem has dissed hundreds of people. 25 is a lot of times to diss one rapper over three years. I mean, that's wild. He actually went at Cannabis harder than he had at any other rapper other than Ja Rule. Cannabis got the most diss of any other rapper. So Cannabis went and left the mainstream and retreated underground. And then he brought Rip the Jacker, which I don't... Did you... Was that your one or was that my one? Because I can't remember. Uh, it's my one, yeah. but yeah, go for it. I mean, look, I'm not going to say too much, except I think this is his best album. I think this is a brilliant album. Thank you. You know, I think... I'll go one step further. The story is a bit odd. Say go. Go. Oh, I think if Jizza or Lupe did this album, people would be considering, like, like fuck, some of the best shit ever. Yep. So... Carry on. Oh, I agree. I think, you know, after Mike... That's my that's my, that's my tagline. <laughs> that's fair. Look, I, I agree. You know, after Mike Club dropped, because he did drop an, an album in between that I didn't talk about, because, you know, it's just another cannabis album. It dropped in 2002. <laughs> he joined the album. Look, man, he's got a lot of albums. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I've listened to the ones, and I'm talking about the ones I, I really connected with. But once he joined the army... So the wild thing about this album is... Cannabis didn't hear it until it came out in stores. So once he joined the army, his label began began creating this record around these static recordings that Cannabis had already done. Cannabis didn't come back and record them. In fact, 
he didn't hear the beats, you know, they put the beats underneath them, so he didn't hear it until the fucking album came, which is wild considering it's his best album. So the concept, as explained by himself, is a world seen through the eyes of a modern-day lyricist and poet, uh, featuring his third personality, which is Professor Emeritus Rip the Jacker. Now, when he explained his alter egos in an interview, he said, Jermaine created cannabis and cannabis had to deal with things in the industry that he had no idea existed. I didn't know that the competition was unfair, that the competitive nature of music was cutthroat. Then when I had the chance to experience that, cannabis had to create another level. Rip the Jacker is like a foot side of Jack the Ripper. I don't know what foot side means, but anyway. So, I'm received rave reviews. Uh, 194 on the Billboard 200. I think it's a perfect cannabis album. And I think what that sounds like has changed a lot over the years. I think when he first came out, the perfect cannabis album was maybe meant to sound like the Marshall Mathers LP, at least according to FCD Signifier, for example. Um, Eminem was far more somber and angry on that record. and It was stacked with powerful emotion next to intricate lyricism. There's so many levels. It wasn't going to happen for cannabis. It's not going to happen for anyone. No one is going to create Marshall Mathers LP or anything like it. No one ever has. No one ever will. No one was ever Eminem. It was just too perfect. So, you know, when he was going to drop his sophomore album, I think people just thought it was just going to be an album of second round knockouts, but that's not what it was either. So then we get, you know, we get this album, and I genuinely think it's, it took Cannabis a long time to figure out his artistry and figure out his lane and figure out who he is and what he wants to do. And it's very sad that Rip the Jacket came out not only five years after his debut, remember. This is not 2015. So he just needed yeah. five years to figure his shit out, which most artists do. When did Kendrick drop Good Kid Mad City? He'd been in the game for eight years by that stage. You know what I mean? Well, there was no yeah. pressure on him up till that point. Not really. And there wasn't that much pressure on him then. There was so much pressure on cannabis, and he didn't know who he was at that time. So, look, I that's that's how I feel about this album, man. I think... Yeah, I, I, I could continue and yap on about it, but I will talk about the battle in a second. But look, I just think this was the, the cannabis album that I don't know that we all expected this or this is what we knew would be the perfect cannabis album, but it turned out to be. Yeah, I, the first couple of tracks off here, absolutely absurd. Like the word play-wise yep. is absolutely absurd. So he starts off with Genibus, which is obviously Brilliant you know, Genesis, right? And that he, he literally, he li- and this is what I mean, right? In C3 Hollywood Stories, he didn't quite lean into the concept that I kind of expected, right? And again, that might be my fault, right? But it is what it is. But for this, he fucking leaned the fuck into that shit, and it's so good. Verse 1, literally the first thing he says, he says, in the beginning, I discovered wordplay. Thank you. Perfect. Right there. That's fucking G. That's a G line to start it off with. Off a of Genesis. Get it? Because they say that in the fucking Bible. Book of Genesis. Right? I, ex- I, I experimented with some syllables from first day to the third day. On the fourth, I searched for the words to say. How to compress complex verbiage in the least amount of space. I was perfect at it and mastered the tactics. On the fifth day, I decided I would combine it with mathematics. On the sixth day, I became a fanatic and I couldn't kick the habit. I would just look in the mirror and practice. On the seventh cycle, I had to take the day off. I was exhausted. I guess my work will never pay off. But if it happened, but if it happened hit to him, it could happen to me. And if it happened to me, it was destined to be. Fucking perfect way to start this album. 
in the in actual and it gets to the point it gets to the point of what this is supposed to be it's like literally him doing the bible thing and then you get to Levitibus Levitibus and this just goes so fucking deep I harnessed the power of the chakra remote viewing into darkness describing what I see in the process are stone statues surrounded by neolithic objects geoglyphs on the pampa a dose of polar polaramin makes it feel like a dream the dream state is the playground for the supreme critics attempt to follow a trend today they call me a charlatan but tomorrow i'll be a god of men to create a universe all i need is 1000 trillion degrees sodium 22 betatrons and a cloud chamber keep the noise down so i don't arouse my neighbors got a message from the falcon and the snowman in an unopened coca-cola can showed the whole plan in a coded program encrypted by a pro scan modem with a low band hold up let me load it in i'm telling you if juzza or lupe said sodium 22 betatrons and a cloud chamber keep the noise down so i don't arouse my fucking neighbors you lot would be slurping it up Am I fucking lying? Like, this is absurd. This is absurd. And that's factual wordplay, by the way. Like, that's the, that's the, literal, that's the legit thing that uh, is quoted by Big Bang, right? Is a thousand trillion trillion degrees. That's, that's the fact. That's fact. The that's show factual buzz. Big Bang. It's fucking absurd it's great and it gets oh it goes so and that's three verses and it keeps on going it's absolutely absurd right but the highlight for me personally is the last track the last track is this poet laureate 2 which is this seven minute over three beats and he just keeps going it's so fucking absurd of just, and this is and I will say this is one of those tracks those that one of those quintessential cannabis tracks that kind of go all over the place but it's seven minutes it's kind of impressive <laughs> it's 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 a load of it's a load of just things being said and it all rhymes but fucking hell he goes at it for seven minutes and there's some gems in there there's some gems in there I'm just trying to find it as I talk um, but there's there's a mention about um, the industry, which I which I, it just caught me in the it caught my ear, and I was like, "Ooh, let me rewind that," and I did, and it was fucking great. Uh, here we go. I don't know where to start, but I'm gonna start here. Uh, I fought to regain control of the plane, but it went up in a ball of flames, and I got banned from the hip hop hall of fame for two bars. I kept hearing in my head over and over again, "It cost me everything." I'm convinced now that more than a truth is at stake, where people create language that pretends to communicate. Euphemisms are misunderstood as mistakes, it's a, but it's a byproduct of the ghetto music we make. From an extroverted point of view, I think it's too late. Hip-hop has never been the same since 1988. That's a G-fucking bar. <laughs> That's a G-fucking set right there, man. G-fucking set. And it made me think. It made me think i was just like because you know I've, I've been reading and i'm just like you know there is a lot of times where i just think about you know hip-hop and you know hip-hop 50 hit my mic hip-hop 50 and everything and i'm just like yeah you know in in a lot of and, oh, he said another thing about progress 
and I wish I could find it in in the, in the time I, I'm giving myself. But he he mentioned something about you know not all progress is good progress, basically, and uh, he's not wrong. <laughs> he talks <laughs> about that a he's lot. He's not fucking wrong. He talks about that a lot. Since it came, yeah, since it became a lucrative profession, there's there we go. There's a misconception. The next couple of bars. Since it became a lucrative profession, there's a misconception that a movement in any direction is progression, even though the potency of it lessens. Big money industries writing checks to suppress the question, and nobody gives a fuck no more. No one goes to the bookstore. Fuck. Oh, my gosh. Do you understand how fucking sick that is to me? Like, reading that shit? That is fucking poetry, bruv. Poetry. Capital P. Poetry. So, yeah, you know, that's only three tracks out of uh, 11, right? So, you know, take take it with a pinch of salt, right? Please, again, feel free to listen to this one, this album as well, because like we agree, this is his best album. Cannabis is quintessential cannabis, or Can I Bust is quintessential cannabis. But this one is his best album, and it's so fucking good. <laughs> it's actually so fucking good. It's produced by a Jedi Mind Tricks uh, member. I forget his name. Uh, Stoop. Um, and it's oh, just the beats are clean. The bars are heavy. There's such deep meaning into it. And it, it really is cannabis at his full potential. I mean that genuinely. So him is his full potential. And it's fucking great. Again. If Jizza, if Lupe, if anybody that you consider a smart rapper said this, any of that, any of the bars that I have mentioned in the past five minutes, you would be fucking bowing down. But we don't, because unfortunately, retrospectively, he dropped this at a point where nobody was looking out for him anymore. And that in some in some way is really cannabis in a nutshell. That he dropped his best work when he was probably commercially at his fucking lowest. And it's just so... The irony just drips off this album. It's so... Ugh, it's crazy. It's interesting because Lupe kind of did the same thing, if we're going we're gonna to say it. I mean, Tetsuo, Tetsuo and Youth probably is his best, but you could easily argue drill music in Zion and, you know, this is what happens. Yeah. Like, cut yeah. them free of that you know fucking commercial tie um, maybe yeah yeah maybe that was maybe that's what's necessary yeah i get yeah good point so maybe that was now we get into the final thing that i want to talk about which is the battle the battle cannabis versus disaster so this is where cannabis got in his way again his own way unfortunately um just like he did with those lyrical missteps on his debut album and just as it did then it came here at the worst possible time like genuinely a bad time right when cannabis was pushing into the digital age and rebuilding his fan base disaster speculated and so did a few others whether accurately or not that cannabis did the battle solely for money which wouldn't be a problem at all i don't know why that people criticized him and they're like, oh, he just did it for the money. Like, yes, that's what everyone does everything for these days. People just yap about how much money they make off everyone. I find this, as a side note, so weird that we'll, like, retweet, Pharrell just bought a new watch worth $1.8 million. And then at the same time, we're like, oh, Cannabis only did that battle for the money. Like, okay. Why are we celebrating money and then shitting on money? Anyway, 
capitalism is fucking weird and you're all weirdos. So Cannabis said he merely loves the idea of battle rap and he recognizes now how different his idea of what battle rap is to what it actually is. To be fair to Disaster, it was Cannabis who fanned the flames. He dissed Disaster on a song and Disaster noted that Cannabis doesn't freestyle even though he's known as a freestyler. And Disaster was like, well, I, I think I could clean him up. I don't think he freestyles. I think I could clean him up here. Now, during the battle, the first two rounds, Cannabis is totally fine. It's normal. It's a decent battle. Some people even say Cannabis won the first round. Unfortunately, he then loses his composure entirely. Um, the third round comes around, and <sighs> Cannabis stops the battle completely and starts addressing the crowd, and it gets a bit rowdy. And I'll, I'll say the words that he said verbatim. He says, I'm talking to everybody in here and listen to me. The boy can spit. I prepared every day for three weeks to come here. I wrote so many fucking rhymes. I can't memorize all that shit. I'm not a good freestyler. I'm technical, always been that way. And I didn't come here to let y'all down. So this is what I'm going to do. I can't do no more than what I can do. So work with me. You win, Diz. But I still want to spit my shit if you understand me. Then the notebook comes out and the booze go crazy and cannabis says you came here to listen to rhymes didn't you there's 30 pages of rhymes in this motherfucker the man wins now let me spit my shit fuck that i'm just gonna spit my shit from the top the way that i was rehearsing so he starts rapping and the crowd is not fucking having it so he stops and says again but he ends up finishing and disaster comes back and destroys him in the final round and it's honestly one of the hardest things in the world to watch and it makes me sad it genuinely makes me sad. Like, I want to just grab Cannabis in that moment and lift him up and just, you know, the Simpsons episode where Homer's getting the shit beaten out of him by in that boxing ring and Mo comes in and like takes him out and like saves him. That's what I wanted to do to Cannabis because you don't do that. You don't do that. And that's why it makes me sad. Cannabis didn't go in there disrespecting the art form. He didn't go in there disrespecting battle. He didn't. He just said, disaster just beat me. But I wrote all these cool rhymes and I want you guys to hear them. He's thinking that the crowd's going to be like, yeah, of course. I mean, this is chill. This is just a battle. It's just, you know, healthy competition. If you want to spit your bars, whatever. That's not what happened at all. The crowd just destroyed him. Buster Rhymes in an interview came out and just everyone was destroying him. I remember it happening. And everyone was like, can you believe what Cannabis did? And so, you know, Clef said it best. He said, Cannabis versus Disaster for me, it was like every time Cannabis shows up, something happens. Him and Disaster broke an algorithm on the pay-per-view. They created something. For me, once again, the battle didn't go the way Cannabis wanted it to go. But once again, I felt like that's where the work starts. Sometimes we want the person to stay in the sitcom. We don't want you to move. And I think it's fair to leave it there, to be 100% honest. I just think Cannabis was mistreated. Mistreated. Like, look... I can't, I'm trying to convey to the listeners and I'm trying to convey to everyone because I sat down, I did the research as I do every week. I watched the interviews. I listened to the way cannabis talks. I listened to the way everyone talks about cannabis. I read all of the information around the beef, how it started, what happened with LL, everyone's different perspectives on that. Redman's perspective, LL's perspective. LL came out and said, I fucked up. LL literally said that in 2023. That was on me. He said, it's on me. I was a dick back then. And I, you know, I knew he wasn't being disrespectful. I'm not going to put words in LL's mouth, but he walked it all back and, and took took the blame upon himself. Eminem hasn't done that because that's not what Eminem does. But I'm pretty sure if you asked Eminem, he would say, yeah, it's just a beef, man. It's just battle. It's just healthy competition. Cannabis wasn't built for that. And unfortunately, his battle raps made people think that he was. But watching his interviews, 
He's just a nice guy, man. He just loves hip-hop. He loves the art of it. He loves the art of lyricism and storytelling and putting words together and creating internal rhymes and multis. That's what he loves to do. And I can understand his frustration and his hurt because, you know, what he said back in 2002 or in that song, or it might have been on Rip the Jack or where he's just like, you know, the industry is set up for people to fail. It's, It's uncompromising. It's unfair. It's an unfair fight. And that's how... Cannabis felt his entire career. He said, I have been dragged into these fights that I didn't want to be even part of, but I engaged with them because I had to because it's hip-hop, but you tied my hands behind my back, so how the hell could I win? And it shed a lot of light on, you know, for example, it kind of confirms the things that Ja Rule was saying and the Murder Inc. beef with, with Shady and Aftermath where they said the same thing, that they were being blackballed and they weren't allowed to put albums out, their assets were being frozen, like all these things, and... You know, that's Cannabis' story, and I think it's a really, really fucking sad story, and I don't think I've been sadder at the end of an episode other than maybe the MF Doom one, you know? I, I Just hearing his story, bro, this man is... He's a wholesome individual, and he's just been bullied, and I don't like it when people get bullied. I don't like it when wholesome, honest, earnest people get bullied and mistreated and taken advantage of, and that's what happened to Cannabis, and I don't fuck with any of it, to be honest. Yeah, um, I want to finish off with a couple of tracks that are just outside of uh, the realm of time and, uh, you know, talk about his albums uh, because, again, there are a lot of albums. Yeah, and I missed a lot. A, I missed a lot. We're, we're, cra- we're cracking, we're about to crack 90 minutes, so I'm just, <laughs> I just want to reference a couple of tracks um, that are kind of notable to me personally. I feel like he's, rec- well, not recommend to listen to, you don't have to, whatever, but... Um, it's just, it's interesting, I guess, and it adds to, like, I think it adds to it. Um, so firstly, off, uh, Melatonin Magic, which is, oh, just a not great album. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, Professor Griff on there, uh, which is, uh, kind of, uh, iffy, the, uh, you know, these days. Um, but there's a track called Airstrike, brackets, Pop Killer, um, where <laughs> it kind of, uh, has this, uh, it's, it's very weird. It's another Eminem diss. Um, so when when did this happen? Uh, 2010. And um, it has D12 on it. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of odd. Um, but basically, what Cannabis did that he quote unquote tricked them um, into doing the verses that are done on here and used them for the record, so it sounded like it would be aimed at Eminem. Um, so yeah, so members of D12 are legitimately on here, um, and it's it's kind of funny that uh, Cannabis actually kind of got one back here, <laughs> maybe not as a you know as a quality diss track, but getting D12 to diss <laughs> to diss Eminem is kind of it's kind of a G move. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even. I find it kind of I find it kind of cool. Um, to be honest, I think that's a kind of that's a very G move. Uh, uh, DZK on on here says, uh, "I got a question. I'm white. Can I join D12? I'll sell you for a million records, and I'll tell you to go to hell. Leave Swifty in charge, then remove all the stars, and make the group wish bizarre. Shot pool in a bar, and assault lawyer stop the beat. So in us all, I really, I really do hope you know who get who get involved, because I'm a fan. And I'll get you for a Nick Cannon dissing, and you already know how fucking sick cannabis is. Like, and yeah, yeah, Swifty gets a, gets some in here, uh, and yeah, they kind of just go back and forth, bizarre on the end of it. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting track in just the in the law in in the in the law of a of a cannabis. Um, 
The second one I wanted to get into was uh, The Ghost of Hip Hop's Past, which is uh, featured on Lyrical Law, um, which as uh, as a three-part album, uh, Lyrical Law is. There's, a, there's technically three tr- uh, three discs. This one's ca- Disc one is kind of just the album itself. Um, the third one is basically uh, repackaged raps from like 93. Um, and then second one, I think, is a bunch of remixes. Um, but this track is very fascinating. It actually adds on to what I was talking about previously, um, where he the whole Lyrical Law album is basically um, a bunch of ciphers. It literally says ciphers most of the time. Emerald Cipher, Golden Cipher, Cipher of Steel, Cipher of Five Mics. And, you know, to his credit, it has some really decent features on it. Um, decent names, anyway, on it. Uh, Ras, Cass, Planet Asia. There's some good stuff on there. Um, if, you're just, if you're just down to here, you know, just a ton of bars, right? Um, but yeah, he gets into this and he embodies himself as the ghost of hip hop's past. And he goes, wake up. What is the date? 1988. Hip hop is barely exposed to the emotion and hate. I hibernate, vibing from space. My first album, 10 years late. I try to take it to a positive place. And he keep and he keeps going in this, you know, body of hip hop. I memorize Rock the Bells. I memorize Tales from the Crackside. I used to rock gazelles, EPMD, You Got to Chill, Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick, Pete Rock, Mr. Dobelina was Dill, uh, Cold Crush Crew, Melly Mel, Sugar Hill, Salt and Pepper, Sweet Tea, Pretty as Hell, Shante Dimple on her face, Pretty as well. <laughs> and then he says, uh, and then he says, uh, I used to want to smell the pale Roxanne's tail. Um, but past that, that aside, yeah, I, lo- I love Ben's face. That's <laughs> just perfect. <laughs> Perfect face, perfect face for that. Um, so yeah, there's that. But um, it's a fascinating track. It's a, he mentions a ton of artists basically, but it's like like you've been saying, it it comes from the heart, and I respect for it. I res- I really respect it as a track. Um, and lastly, um, FD Signify mentioned this, um, and I wanted to mention it as well. But it's this, it's this, it's this track, uh, Poet Laureate Infinity, um, where uh, basically. It was a released on a mixing board. I, don't, I think he's the first person to do this as well, right? So it was released on a mixing board. And what you could do as a listener, you basically had the ability to flick between flick between beats. And then there were five vocal layers as the song was going on, right? So you could create a completely unique 10-minute song or 200 bars with each listen hence the name Infinity. Um, and as you can imagine, it doesn't work in terms of coherence, but as an experiment, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, I'm not going to read the, I'm not going to read all the bars here. Um, Cause like I said, there's a fuck ton of these. Um, but as a concept, as a, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it's a very fascinating, at least experiment. I don't think anybody's done it. Um, for probably for good reason because it just doesn't make sense for people to just take lyrics and then you know slap them together with a beat and you know eh, whatever. But hey, man, it's out there, and uh, I don't know if you could do it these days. Um, I don't know if the website exists or not, whatever. But as an as an experiment, as a as a forward thinker, shit, man, shout out to cannabis in general, man, because. The dude has really some interesting shit speckled around. Yes, there is some 
trash. There is some doo-doo on here. There's uh, everywhere. There's some questionable bars in a lot of places. But what rapper doesn't have those? Uh, you know what I mean? What rapper doesn't have questionable bars? What rapper doesn't have mid? What rapper doesn't have, you know, just shit that just confuses you and you're just like, why did you drop this? Um, you know, but shit, man, Cannabis has at least two uh, two good albums, two good to great albums, and you know that's 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 more than that's more than some. Um, you know, barring the fact that he's dropped like seventeen of them, but <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, but yeah, man, just the the story is obviously very fascinating, and um, I don't think there's been anybody as misunderstood um, in the hip hop sphere, literally from a uh, from a person-to-person perspective, the fact that he managed to piss off two of the biggest rappers of uh, of their respective eras um, is quite an impressive feat. <laughs> um, and I don't think he did it off of... And I, and I think he did it with... You know, he obviously did the diss tracks with, you know, the mindset of, oh, this is competition. I like this. I'm here for this. Let's do it. You know what I mean? It's like... It's the competition element. He's hip-hop through and through. And I can't... I personally can't hate on him for that. Because, fuck me, a lot of that is missing these days. Like, what What do we have for... What What do we have for battles these days? Hey, hey, Jim hey. Jones. Jim Jones and Jim King fucking Jones. Por- you know what's hilarious? You know, because we've done the Jim Jones We're retrospective. We're hopping onto a lighter note, by the way. We've done the Jim Jones retrospective. <laughs> the smoothest segue to a lighter note ever, by the way. I'm just going to say... I don't know. No, I don't know. You, you, did you watch it, by the way? I didn't watch it. I, Jim Jones is going to get eaten the fuck up. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't need to listen to any songs I to wish, know that. I, I wish I transcribed the snippet that I sent to Ben earlier of Jim Jones preparing to drop a diss track, seemingly. And it's so fucking shit uh so oh my gosh i can't pusher got him to drop to to at this point recorded this track i don't he's obviously haven't dropped it yet but recorded this track off a snippet <laughs> during a fashion show like say what you want about push and they're oh, and most of the most of the critiques are very valid right but he could. He's he he he's he's a really good goader. He he could go to fucker on, and I respect the hell out of that. It's so fucking easy to him. Seriously, he he must have woke up that morning going, got him. <laughs> it's just. But so that's not a tough one. Oh, that, Jim Jones, don't do it, bro. Jim Jones can jump out the window. Jim, don't drop it. Jim Jones, I, res- that track. I respect Jim Jones. He is never, ever, ever going to back down from a battle from literally anyone. If you say his yeah. name, yeah, yeah. okay, pop good. Out. Ooh, yeah, good. That's hip hop. That's hip hop to me. Don't back down. But you're going to get clapped. I'm sorry. <laughs> Push T. Push T is going to clap anyone. Honestly, like he's too cold. It's the reality, you Jim. know. I listened to those. I listened to those that interview we did on the Joe Budden podcast, um, and it's one of the greatest interviews in history. Pusha T is menace. He is violence. He is aggression and like, but calculated. Like when he said "Surgical Summer" on that song, 
that's how he approaches his shit. Listening to him talk about how he thought about Drake and what you know, how he approached the beef and what his plans were and how he'd set all these things up down the line. I mean, part of the reason Drake didn't respond, I think, is because he knew Pusher had two or three more in the clip. You don't, you don't just like release all of your ammunition in the first wave. You know, you you say, and and that's scary to me. But yeah, now that we know what we know about Jim Jones. No, <laughs> it's never going to go. You're not going to win that beef, Jim Joes, but I do respect you for popping out and having a go. Just having a good old-fashioned try. Just try your best. Participation medal. It's not going to be first place. You're not going to be on the podium. Even though there's only two people and there's three spots on the podium, I'm not putting Jim Jones one, two, or three on that podium. You get a participation medal, and we appreciate your service. Genuinely. I'm happy that he pulled out like that and had a crack, but... Yeah, give my man an orange slice. Yeah, he gets an orange slice at at halftime. He's cutting up the oranges at halftime, man. Fucking embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Um, We've we've, we've cracked nine minutes, so we'll we'll kill this off. Um, There's plenty plenty outside stuff to talk about, but we'll leave it for another day. Um, Yeah. Episode uh, well, ch- uh, 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 a podcast note, uh, a show note. Um, we'll throw in at the end here. Um, there is a potential um, that we will have. Well, Ben specifically will have <laughs> a week off. Um, I have an interview drop in, and I'm going to drop it not just on What's Good, but I'm also going to drop it on DITD as well. Um, because well, partly because the uh, people asked me uh, if, it, if it could be on DITD, so I thought I'd oblige. But also, it's an interview, so and I do that on What's Good, so I'll drop on What's Good as well. Um, but yes, I have an interview coming, um, hopefully within, well, by the time the next episode drops. Um, if not, uh, definitely the episode after that. But I hope to have it sorted and done uh, by next episode, uh, by next Tuesday. Um, so you will not hear Ben, unfortunately, for the first time ever. Um, he will have a full-on break, literally a full-on break, uh, while I um, bust my ass to St- Stratford and uh, do an interview um, and uh, get that sorted for you guys. So that'll be interesting, a uh, little you know, change of pace, I guess. Um, but yeah, just wanted to give that as a show note and uh, kind of a... I'm kind of saying it just so I'd actually promised myself to do it because I don't want to try and do it after <laughs> for Tuesday and then go, hey, Ben, it's not going to be done for Tuesday. We need to do so. It's like, I don't want to do that. So I'm, I'm dedicating myself to f- having it sorted by Tuesday um, and having that out for you guys by, well, I should probably do it by Wednesday, actually, since that's in the middle of Waskid and the ITD. So I might drop it on Wednesday instead. But anyway, whatever. Um, what but yeah, else? that's a little show note and uh, just something to look forward to for the future, uh, near future anyway. So ladies and gentlemen, and I said, uh, it's from the five uh, from the five EPM. This has been Digging Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been Charlie Taylor for Fellow. I have been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We shall always always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza Big Games by Bonus Points, thanks to Chalk Music for the ability to use. Socials with Filament, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points, and Chalk Music will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5e PM production. 
and spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digital.